Welcome to the Ringer NBA Show. I'm Chris Burney, and joining me as he does every Tuesday from TheRinger.com is Kevin O'Connor, a.k.a. Kevin O'Candyland, Kevin O'Concert, Kevin O'Climber, Kevin O'Camera, Kevin O'Blizzarian, Kevin O'Quarantine, Kevin! Verno, usually you don't pull out the O'Candyland first. It threw me off rhythm. I'm going to be off this entire show now. Well, it was in honor of the game starting this week. We have our fingers crossed, but we have made it to... The quasi-finish line in terms of games beginning. Mm -hmm. Um, They're supposed to begin on Thursday night. We will go through the opening games that we are going to see on Thursday night. But before that, we have had some big news drop since we have last spoken, Kevin. The first of which is over the weekend, it was announced that the New York Knicks had come to terms with Tom Thibodeau as the head coach, their next head coach, on a five-year deal. We know that they had overhauled their entire management um, throughout the season. We figured they are going to have a new coach. And I, you know, we were asked this in one of the mailbags a couple of weeks ago, and I said Tom Thibodeau is who I would hire. Um, I have been extremely perplexed by the backlash to the hiring of Tom Thibodeau. I I find it to be truly unbelievable. And let me just uh, go through this real quickly. Number one, Tom Thibodeau is a winner. Like, this guy wins basketball games. And if you watch basketball games, you never go into a game that Tom Thibodeau is on the other sideline thinking that his team is not prepared for what is about to take place in this game. And many times he can strategize to make your life hell. Beyond that, before Jimmy Butler got hurt, he had the Minnesota Timberwolves in a home court advantage slot for the NBA playoffs. So that happened. Obviously, he had his success with the Bulls prior to. And when the other names that were floated about for who would be hired for the New York Knicks, the idea that anybody would be disappointed that the name that they came to was Tom Thibodeau. To me, I don't know. I I just don't get it. I think this is a great hire, a great hire for the New York Knicks. I think the source of disappointment for a lot of people is like, you guys hired Taylor Jenkins, a a lesser-known name. They interviewed guys like Jamal Mosley from Dallas and Will Hardy from San Antonio. And Knicks fans or other NBA fans of other teams are like, oh, yeah, well, this is – something that can work and those guys could be great head coaches someday Mm -hmm. Uh, so like if I asked you would you rather have Tibbs or Taylor Jenkins last year you might have said Tibbs but there's upside in hiring an unknown name or a lesser known name Um, with that said Tibbs was always the choice here like that stuff about Jason Kidd that was floated out there I don't know what that was Tibbs has been the guy for months now and so it's no surprise that he was hired here by New York and by Leon Rose the guy making the decisions now in that front office And I'm with you that it's a good hire. I think Tibbs is a good coach. He is a true basketball junkie who knows how to coach defense and knows how to hold players accountable. He has his flaws. He, he, I mean, I said, I've said in the, I've criticized him a lot in the past. He plays his players too much. Sometimes there's a lack of offensive creativity. Sometimes he gets stuck in his ways. There are flaws with him as a coach, but he's a solid overall coach. And I can't fault the Knicks for hiring. Him especially because of the existing relationship between Leon Rose and Tom Thibodeau. It's important for your organization to have top-down 
organizational alignment. So in that sense, it matters to me that those guys have a relationship and an understanding with each other from a personal standpoint and a working standpoint. That's critical to organizational success. And that's something the Knicks haven't had for so long. And I think that's something that's been a little bit overlooked because we're talking so much about Tibbs' flaws rather than what the Knicks have always never had, it seems like, from owner to GM to coach, is alignment. So it's good that they have that. And now it's about building out this roster, which is young and raw, and at the moment isn't going to win games no matter how much you say Tibbs is a winner. Well, and it, but it, and they didn't the first year in Minnesota either, right? They were like 31 and 51 his first year there. It's just this guy has proven to be a good head coach. Like I read even on the ringer, uh, Roger Sherman just killed it, just murdered it. It was like there is nothing to be excited about. And one of the things was the the lack of development of young players. And I'm sitting there reading it like he had the youngest MVP in the history of the friggin' NBA. He had the youngest MVP in the history of the NBA. Joakim Noah was fourth in MVP voting. I mean, like, what are we talking about here? If you want to blame him for their injuries, fine. You can blame him for their injuries. You can say in a different world, they play less minutes, they don't get injured like they did. But... In terms of development of young, like, what do you want? The guy, he had the youngest MVP in the history of the league. He, he, he had a Jimmy, guy. Jimmy Butler develop as well. Jimmy Butler got drafted at the end of the first round. And, and then you listen to players over the years talk about him. You know who credits development with Tom Thibodeau? Kobe Bryant, Kevin Garnett, Yao Ming, <laughs> like, uh, Derek Rose, Joakim Noah, Jimmy Butler, like, Am I in bizarro world here? Like, the whole development of that. The other thing is, Carl Towns and Andrew Wiggins haven't won shit when Tom Thibodeau wasn't on their sidelines. Like, he got the most out of that group, too. Like, I don't I don't get it. I, I just, I don't understand why, I guess he's just become the popular guy to, you know, because he's, he's gruff. He's not great in yeah. press conferences. He's not going to fire back at you typically because he doesn't really give a shit what you think. And so he and he's like representative of the old school. I will tell you, there are three guys that I would have been I, I would have been positive about the Knicks hiring. Tom Thibodeau, maybe more, but off the top of my head, Tom Thibodeau, Kenny Atkinson from across the street. I like Kenny a lot, really especially good. with the good culture coach. that he good. built. Yeah. It would have been hilarious to be in the same city across the street <laughs> yeah. from Kyrie and uh, Durant. And, and the other one, and I don't understand why this name doesn't come up all the time, but the other one is Darvin Ham. And you mentioned Taylor Jenkins earlier, all right? This Budenholzer line of coaches, the only one that hasn't been hired yet as a head coach is Darvin Ham. And you go back and look at his Atlanta staff, and it was Mike Budenholzer, it was Taylor Jenkins, Kenny Atkinson, Quinn Snyder, and Darvin Ham. That's wild. So he's three for three in terms of producing yeah. good coaches yeah. off of that bench. So Darvin would be the other one. He is the lead assistant uh, for him in Milwaukee now. But if I had an opening, I certainly would consider just because, like, I mean, at what point do you just look at track record and say, hey, 
when you come from this system, it has gotten great results almost across the board. I want to go back to something you said before about his him developing younger guys. Uh, and you mentioned Kobe in passing. And, and that's an interesting one because I, I remember reading a story years ago about Kobe. I think I believe it was when Kobe was in high school yeah. that Tibbs and Kobe met. And, you know, obviously like, Kobe would have been a great player if they had never met. That's like, sure. But, you know, Kobe did say like it was important, you know, for him to meet him and, you know, tell him ball handling drills and, you know, certain little aspects of what pros do. Um to get better at at, uh, at skills as a ball handler. And I think Tibbs, all his years as an assistant, he's one of the best defensive coordinators in basketball. And, and that is something that requires teaching to get a defense to play connected, to play on a string, to be one, not five individuals. And Tibbs, it, Minnesota was not what you would have hoped for defensively. Towns didn't get to the level that they needed him to. Despite having Jimmy Butler, that team couldn't get going. Despite, by the way, having Kevin Garnett before Tibbs was there, Towns wasn't able to turn into a great defensive player, which is a shame because of what he was at Kentucky. He was a really good defensive player in college, and he wasn't a great offensive player in college, but he became an awesome offensive player in the NBA and and an average defensive player in the NBA. Um, Towns has gotten better over the years, but it's been slow for him. Almost as if like part of it is that offensive workload and being an anchor is a bit much for him, as it would be for a lot of guys. So for Tibbs, I, I kind of, when I look at Minnesota, I don't think he was right for that team. I just don't. And I said they should get rid of him, and they did. Um, but I do think he's one of those guys that because of what he did in Chicago, because of some of the positive signs in Minnesota, he deserves another opportunity. And for the Knicks, I do look at this roster, and like I said, they're not ready to win. They're young. They're raw. I mean, this team is not ready. But because Tibbs and Leon Rose have their relationship, I have confidence that they're not going to rush things here. They're not going to do something stupid short-term. I would assume Tibbs is going into this with an understanding that, hey, this could be a developmental project, or if there's an opportunity available that makes sense, maybe they'll try to win now. I don't know either way. We'll see. But they'll try to win now, Kev. To me, but no, 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 we don't know. But to me, if a good opportunity is available, to me, more than anything else, Tibbs is a good hire, you know, even if you think he's a bad hire. What matters more than anything else is what does Leon Rose do with this actual roster? What trades do they try to make this offseason? What free agent signings do they try to make? That's what matters more than anything else. More than the coach is the players. Mm -hmm. Players win games in the NBA. Coaches can help steer that, develop a system. But the players matter more than anything else. And I like Tibbs as a coach. I think he's, like I said, I like him. He's a basketball junkie. He is somebody people respect around the league. And he's a proven good head coach in big games in the playoffs. No, and Um, these guys can be tough and they can be gruff. My point is this. If I give a guy a team and I say, did I feel like he maximized that roster? I feel like he has always maximized the rosters he's had. I mean, Minnesota, Minnesota, you could argue otherwise. What? They were in fourth in the Western Conference. I know, but their defense wasn't what you would have hoped for. With the players that they had, and that's Jimmy Butler got hurt. I know, I know he did, but not all. He wasn't always hurt. And when he was, I mean, that's the reason they dropped from fourth to playing in a play-in game, the last game of the season in the standings. Yes, yeah, yeah. I mean, that team was on pace to win over fifty something games. They were really good. They were really good. I mean, they had won thirty-one the year before, and then Mm -hmm. the next year they turned to shit again. I mean, I I just think that this guy, 
he maximizes whatever roster you've got, I think. I believe that to be true. And I don't know how many guys that that is true of throughout the NBA. Um, But he is certainly something from the old school that I get that some people um, don't like. But I do think my prediction would be that Leon Rose and, and, and World Wide West and that group turn that thing upside down. Flip that mm-hmm. roster over, maybe with a quickness, maybe acquire, you know, some real, you know. I mean, look, if they had Chris Paul this year, the Chris Paul that played in Oak City, they'd have been in a playoff. They'd have been a playoff team in the Eastern yeah. Conference. Oh, you yeah. know, I mean, so you're not. And, and by the way, Chris Paul, I don't think Chris Paul is a is a rush move. I I think trading for Chris Paul, if it the price is right, makes a heck of a lot of sense. Chris Paul is a lure. When that big free agency class comes up in 2021 or 2022, Chris Paul is a guy that players would want to play with. A lot of players around the league love Chris Paul. I mean, some hate Chris Paul, but (laughs) you love him too. You get two big-time players, which is not asking all too much because they do have talent. They do have some talent on that team. It's not a total waste. Right, and they certainly have some young talent that you and I believe in. Like you and I are both very, very high still. Frank Delakina, like we we love Frank Delakina. Both of I us. I was talking. I was actually going to talk about <laughs> RJ RJ Barrett, where I have excused. You know, I said you can't go into a worse situation than him. You can't. Like you know, I mean, I think that when people look back at the draft and they say, because uh, I get this a lot about like you know how resentful or jealous you know God if we just had Morant, and obviously Morant probably could have gone to any situation. And been amazing. And Zion also. I'm not so sure that's true of RJ, but I will tell you this. Whatever was possible was made virtually impossible because of the situation he was put in. You can't flip over management and your coach and everything so quickly and then expect the type of development that you want. And not to mention the roster is all goofy. And so, like, you and I were both very high on him. I feel like there has become this line between them. It's like Zion and Morant, and then there's a massive drop-off, and I don't think that drop-off is R.J. Barrett's fault, and I do think they've... I I still believe he is a real talent that they've just got to harness. Well, this comes down to the roster again. Yeah. With the Knicks, they had very poor spacing for R.J. Barrett, a guy who would ideally be in a situation that's playing five-out, he can use his size and get small players, get to the rim, draw fouls, finish inside, kick out passes to open three-point shooters, but he didn't have that. He wasn't in that situation. And this is where situation and opportunity blend with talent to spit out the result that we see on the court. And for the Knicks last year, I didn't have R.J. Barrett on either of my all-rookie teams. He was probably like in contention for that fifth spot on the mm. second team, but he's a guy that in the right spot, I could easily have seen being a first team all rookie or even the rookie of the year, yep. maybe, or, or at least second right behind John Morant. Fact is, man, is that with this young roster, I've for two years, I've been saying the Knicks are going to be able to turn this around. They have a lot of young talent. I like Frank Nillikeen. I know we joke about him all the time. Frank undeniably is one of the best defensive guards in the league. He just is. He stinks offensively. He just stinks. He needs to get better. But defensively, he's one of the best in the league, and that gives him a foundation. Mitchell Robinson, really good on defense this season. Big rim runner, lob catcher. I mean, he's somebody that Tom Thibodeau is probably really going to enjoy having on his roster. R.J. Barrett, maybe he's going to view him and try to mold him to be Jimmy Butler. Again, like Jimmy Butler 2.0. 
Kevin Knox has struggled so far. Still young, though. Got to give him a little bit of time. They have first-round picks coming in. This is a team that has some young pieces to work with, and that if you add a star or add a really nice player from free agency or trade, they can they can develop alongside that guy. And I, I hope for the Knicks that right. this is able to work out. It's been very sad watching them throughout my entire life. I was too young to remember when the Knicks were good with with Patrick Ewing. Born in 1990. I turned 30 yesterday, Chris. Is that true? <laughs> the, big, the big 3-0, oh, yeah. Happy I was birthday, too, I was, Kev. I, I, I want to experience a good Knicks team in my life. Yep. So far in 30 years, I was too young to see those great Knicks teams in the 90s. I grew up um, watching those teams, and they— um, And again, this is going to be, for the older Knicks fans, they will eventually find a team that is in that mold. That's what Knicks fans want. That's a great basketball town, and they respect toughness, and they respect defense. They do. And those teams, that's what they were known for. You want to know that people come in the garden and they get punked, you know? And so do you. So why do you hate Frank? I don't hate him. Why do you hate Frank? I don't hate him. He is (laughs) indicative of what happens with New York players. If Frank Nilakina was in any other uniform, if he was in any other uniform besides the Nick, they always get overrated if you're playing in New York. You get way overrated. I like Nilakina when he was in the draft. So oh, I, I would like Nilakina sakes. anywhere. I don't care who he's playing for. Uh, well, then, then this is, again, and this is why we joke about islands. You've just stuck with him. You, he can be no. horrible, and you're just you're you're not That's going not to true. abandon I have him. A, I have dumped plenty of players that I liked in the draft, and with Frank Nilakina, I don't feel that he is doing anything that's outside of what I expected. I said during the draft, this guy's going to be a great defensive player. He's going to stink early in his career on the offensive end. He's got to get a heck of a lot better to be an impact player long term. He's slowly but surely picking all ball handling, getting a little bit better, shooting, getting a little bit better. Is it where it needs to be? No, it's not. But he's already one of the best defensive guards and wings in the league on a bad team. And if the Knicks can become good or another good team is able to plug him in, there's no reason why he can't be like a Robertson without the shot. There's no reason that he those can't guys be that are, Those guys are virtually extinct now. Yeah, they are virtually extinct. 100% with you. Now, the NBA is played at a rate where they make you pay for I'm having- with you an offensively inept player on the court. Like I'm just, with you, and I don't want to go too long on Frank Nilakina, but I just do want to add, though, that Frank, in his youth right now, there's a chance he at least can develop a solid spot up top. By the way, Robertson coming back this year, he suddenly looks like he's got a solid spot-up jumper, Chris. It's pretty wild to see. It's just a couple of shots that he's hit, but <laughs> looks a little smoother, even though it's still not uh, the, the prettiest shot. If Robertson can hit spot-up threes yep. at a better rate than he has before, oh, boy. you got to ask Tony Allen about Frank Nilakina. I mean, Tony that, don't even put them in the same oh. sentence. I'm, I'm just, I just want to hear T.A. Tony Allen shot thoughts. 50% for his career. You know I, what I mean? I, like, this guy, yeah, don't this give guy me field can't goal make percentage. layups. I'm talk- Tony this Allen was a guy that can't make layups. He can't you, even he can't you make layups. The, you watch the Warriors ignore Tony Allen from behind the arc. He, but no, no, no. This guy is not an athlete, though. This guy's not a good athlete. He can't finish at the rim, and he can't shoot. You know, Look, I'm not. Like, I'm not saying. I'm not saying Frank Nilakina is Tony Allen. Tony Allen's a better athlete, a better finisher. Yeah, you're 100 percent. And he's a better. Maybe not a better shooter, um, <laughs> but that's sort of the point. What I'm saying is, Frank Nilakina. Oh my god, is a great defensive so most player. anybody's ever and talked I've about a guy that shoots 35 percent from the field. 35. I've never heard you acknowledge that. 
35% from the field. Mr. Grit and Grind doesn't respect Grit and Grind. Bro, for if Fred you Nelikina. can't put up numbers on a rat team, <sighs> you can't put up numbers. End of story. That's ridiculous. Like, it, no, that's the truth. <laughs> None of those ridiculous. games matter. Nobody <laughs> even cares ridiculous. when they're playing against you. I, I've watched guys yeah. average 20 points a game playing for 20-win teams. It doesn't matter. It's so inconsequential. <laughs> and he still can't score at all. And, and we then just it's got like, done talking about how this has been a horrible situation for R.J. Barrett to develop in. Oh, but not for Frank Nolakina. It's all his fault. R.J. Barrett's got talent! <laughs> oh, <laughs> I, can, I oh, mean, boy. he's got real talent. He's always had talent. This guy hasn't developed at <laughs> I, all. I can't wait. I can't wait until Grizzlies GM Zach Kleiman signs oh, Frank Nolakina. Oh, God. <laughs> Give me a break. <laughs> Give me a break. <laughs> and you're over in his office like, no. great signing, Zach. No. Great job. Absolutely not. Great work. Absolutely <laughs> well, this not. This guy is really good. You plucked yeah. him out of nowhere. Yeah, yeah. He's going to play over John Morant, right? Uh, you would play him. <laughs> you're the only person in America that would play him over John Morant. Mm. <laughs> Maybe they should trade him straight up, Kev. Because uh, <laughs> they couldn't they couldn't get a second-round pick uh, for Nilakina. I, I right. can't wait. I can't wait. Yeah, well, look. You just better figure out his landing spot. There ain't no way Leon Rose of World Wide West and that group is going to be hanging on to him. <laughs> um, the other big news that has come out since we last spoke, and if the Thibodeau take made me sound old, just wait till you hear this one. <laughs> <laughs> Lou Will. All right. So the Lou Williams story comes out. And Lou Williams uh, had gotten excused uh, to leave. He was going to go to the funeral of a family friend, someone that was very close to him. And then after... He did that. He stopped into Magic City, strip club in Atlanta. He was, a picture was taken with Jack Harlow, famous rapper. Jack famous. Harlow put up the put up the picture. Anyway, he's got one of the biggest tits in the world. Um, what? What's popping? Are you serious? You just turned 30? <laughs> I don't know. Jack Harlow, no, I There's don't. There's already a remix out for What's Popping. With the baby and Lil Wayne and Tory Lanez. Good grief. <laughs> all right. All right. So Jack Harlow's hot in the streets. Okay. All right. All right. So he gets his picture taken. Harlow you're tell, puts you're it telling up. a guy wearing a Jimi Hendrix shirt right now. Uh, fair enough. So he ends up uh, putting this picture up. He ends up deleting it and then saying, oh, I just missed my friend, blah, blah, blah. Never mind. <laughs> Lil Williams was wearing a face mask that was given out in the bubble. <laughs> that, that kind of made it unbelievable that it was taken a year ago. So this elicited, obviously, a million memes and jokes. And let me just say, number one, the amount of people bragging about how great the food is at Magic City in order to, I felt like there was some level of validation of like they wanted to let everybody know how cool they were because they knew if you don't know how good the food is at Magic City, then and I'm like, get over yourselves. Um, the, and and it just became like this joke. But I will tell you this, Kevin, as someone who I think about this a lot of times through the prism of the people that I know and the people that are there and the people that are away from their families or whatever else. And maybe Jack Harlow did everybody a favor by putting that picture out because let's just say that this guy goes to a strip club. I don't care if he's getting wings, getting lap dances, whatever. It's not, uh, being in a strip club is not in any way what anybody would advise you to do. We are 
people are publicly shaming people for being in restaurants and bars and everything else. And so all of a sudden it turns into this, ha ha, the chicken wings at Magic City are so amazing type of joke. Dude, this guy could have screwed this up for everybody. If he goes back and he, God forbid he he, he contracts the virus because he's indoors at a place with tons of people, whether he's just eating or whatever. But let's say he's not in the most sanitary of environments and he goes back and he infects, and you get like a Marlins situation where this infects, you know, 12 guys on the Clippers. Is everybody goofing then? Does everybody think it's so damn funny? Like, I don't think this is, I, I'm sorry. I just don't think it's funny at all. Not when this many guys have made this sacrifice. This guy could have really screwed it up for everybody. He really could have. This is a team that I just picked to win the title. And I get it. It's funny, whatever. It's funny for a minute, but then when you sit back and realize that there are over 400 people that are sacrificing right now by being down there and living in this bubble and doing right by the bubble, and you're going to go off, and if it weren't for you know a rapper taking a picture with you, maybe people don't even know, and you're Famous jeopardizing. Rapper. Yeah, you're jeopardizing <laughs> a lot of guys. You are jeopardizing your team, and then maybe the teams you're playing. You see what's going on with the freaking Marlins right now? It's a debacle. Yeah, and it's like. Okay, would it be funny then? You know what I mean? Like, I don't know. I just... No, th- th- I, I, thank you for saying this. Thank you for yeah. saying this because, uh, look, it's funny in the sense that, I mean, how this worked out. He was at Magic City, you know, haha. But to me, it speaks to the overall... I mean, Lou Will had his mask on and he said he was masked up there, which is great. However, was everybody else in Magic City? No, they don't require a mask there. Um, right now, there's issues between the mayor and the governor of Georgia with requiring people to wear masks indoors in public spaces, and people aren't required to wear masks there. And the way a mask works is that you wearing it doesn't necessarily protect you from breathing something in. It, it limits the chance that others breathe in if you have the virus, if you're asymptomatic. So Lou Will wearing the mask, him being tested every day, not having it is great but you don't know about everybody else in there. And it just speaks to a broader issue in our society about the lack of understanding about how mask works and how this, this virus spreads. I mean, there's so much theater now with like places cleaning up, wiping down tables and all that. This is a virus that's spread airborne. It's not on surfaces quite as much as airborne. And I, I think overall, like for Lou Will to go there, there for anybody to go there, you are taking a risk. And, I haven't hung out with multiple friends since March 8th. I don't plan to for some time now because a lot of them aren't wearing masks when they hang out, which is their choice, not judging them. But I just don't feel comfortable doing that and potentially getting myself sick um, or potentially passing it on to my mom. So it's like, I'm not going to go into public spaces right now because of how threatening this virus is because it can be spread airborne, especially in enclosed spaces like a strip club or like a restaurant. Like a lobby at a restaurant. And by yeah. the way, like he was, we don't know how long he was there. It might have been literally two minutes. Might have been only two minutes. But the fact is, is that for the NBA, it did put everything at risk by having him do well, that. And, and, and thankfully, though, thankfully that picture was put out there. To your point about your family, you know this. My parents live 100 yards from me. All right. Mm-hmm. I went down, I, I, I walked down there last night. Like I'm never close to my mom when I'm talking to her. Oh, so you guys but, are doing social distancing. My father is in a wheelchair. He freaks yeah. out if I get near his room. Really? Wow. 
He doesn't want me anywhere near it. Because, wow. I mean, he's obviously, he's not in good health anyway. And yeah. he would be very susceptible to it. My niece is living there, upstairs in their house. She doesn't even, she doesn't even get around him. She lives there at the house. Mm. Like, he fell out of his wheelchair the other day. I had to go help him out to get to wow. get him back up. And I was like, why isn't? Now my niece helping whatever and she's like he, she because she's she's still working she's got a job yeah. that they don't want her around because God forbid you know he would be he he like literally if you read everything you know like he would be the most susceptible type right for this mm. but I mean my parents live a hundred yards so it's not like I'm not saying this like just because it's the NBA I'm saying everybody has had to make these incredible sacrifices and. I'm not risking shutting down the whole damn NBA by not being close to my mom or my father or whatever, right? But it sucks. It sucks, right? I wish I could go out and do whatever. I would, there's a million things I'd like to do. I think everybody would like to right now. And so I get it. He's he's a cool guy. He's a likable guy. Oh, yeah. And so I think that made it different. It, if that was Harden, if that was Westbrook, if that was somebody that generally is not a, a beloved character within the NBA— they would have gotten absolutely torched. But Lou Will skated being torched, and it just turned into, ha-ha, this is funny. Can you believe how goofy Lou Will went to Magic City? You know, and <laughs> Where there's a flavor of wings named after him. <laughs> yeah, I mean, but if I was a player in the league, I'd, be, man, like, I'd be like, man, F this guy. Like, I mean, you, you guys got that in common. You got food named after you yeah, at a restaurant. Right. Lou Will does, too. I'll uh, say this. <laughs> look, I saw the picture of the wings last night. I mean, they look I great. I would devour them. Yeah, oh, God. I, I they look I mean, I'll tell you what. We, we ordered uh, some wings yesterday for my birthday, and part of the reason why was I got a little craving for wings. Is that right? After the Lewis stuff, yeah. Um, <laughs> they were Imagine the business that that place is going to do now. <laughs> hey, nobody, oh, no. And the strippers Free are going to be Nobody's going to pay any attention to the strippers this whole next week. Everybody's just going to – the cook's going to be working overtime. Everybody's just going in there to eat. <laughs> and by the way, like, Lou Will only made a mistake, and, and it's yeah. not like we're – canceling him or or you know no. ripping him you know saying it's not that it's just like he made a mistake that is something that can't be made again by anybody who has to leave because of the risks and bringing it back I'm might, just you know, saying. The NBA, the NBA, what i'm saying is like the nba might not be so lucky next time where a photo was taken and they find out that they were in a place where a bunch of people were in a close proximity to each other not wearing masks without great ventilation you know they might not find out next time which is why they're acquiring this long quarantine. And by the way, the story with Alex Caruso skipping his sister's wedding, he would have been required to do a 10 or 14 day quarantine had he returned because you're going to a wedding where people mm-hmm. are close to each other, where they're not probably not wearing masks. And Caruso himself said in that Zach Lowe article that not everybody there was wearing a mask and not they weren't practicing social distancing, which again, fine, people's choices. Um, however, it's the type of thing for the NBA's purposes. And I mean, I say fine. I say fine, but in some ways it's, it's not fine, especially in a hot spot like Texas um, right now. It's just, in some ways, it's just not fine. But for the NBA's purposes specifically, Caruso made a hard choice. And had he went back, it would have been the right thing for the NBA to have him quarantined for that long just as will be the case for probably a lot of other guys that have to go back unless during the gro- undergoing the testing every single day. The thing is, it's against the backdrop of this absolute disaster that is going on in baseball. They've yeah. been playing for freaking less than a week. It's and, unreal, man. And it's you unreal. see it 
No, you see it and you see what's happened. There's four more guys. At the time of this recording, it's been reported that four more guys on that team. So you want to talk about the spread Up to of 17. Something? 17. And again, we've got our fingers crossed. This bubble, as it were, so far has done a very good job of containing it, and guys have not been infected as of yet. Again, we're always, you know, scared that there's a shoe that can drop, but at least so far. It has been very positive, much like what they have done in soccer. You know, we just saw the possibilities of it. Soccer just tested 2,200 people involved with their league with no positives. So it's not just sports. It's about the way you do it. And all I'm saying is when the Lou Will stuff happens against the backdrop of, I mean, you got a whole damn team, you know, 17 guys infected on a team, you know that that's a possibility. If you bring that virus in, and you go and start playing basketball. Jack Harlow never takes the picture. And God forbid you've gotten it some way, somehow, mm-hmm. and you infect your whole team, and then you're starting games this weekend. And other, t- I mean, it could shut literally. Nobody thought it was freaking funny when Rudy Gobert was going around touching shit. No. You know what I mean? Like, it's not cool. It's not funny because, especially when against the backdrop of you're seeing how fast that spread with a team, you yeah. know, if it's an issue. I mean, that's the way I feel like watching this Marlin situation. It went from, what, 6 to 10 to 14 to 17 just in it's a couple days. And, and it could balloon even more. Um, I mean, I see that. And it's like it serves as another example to me. Like, I feel like I've made the right choice just not hanging out with that's right. my friends. I mean, it's hard. No, like, it's I, scary. I've been playing a heck of, I play Warzone almost every night with them. That's been my way of hanging out with them. We catch up. You know, we talk every night. We're having fun, playing Warzone, getting dubs. It, it's a good time. And I just don't feel the urge to see them in person right now. And I don't think I will for, I mean, I'm, I'm willing to as long as I need to. Unless like I, we're doing like you said you do with your parents where you're like, you are all six feet apart and we're all wearing masks. Maybe I'll organize a get together and do something like that. You know, meet at a park or someone's backyard or whatever. But I just don't feel comfortable like seeing. And that's like the Marlins example is one of many ever since this thing, you know, hit us all. One of many but it feels closer to home than, than a lot of them because it's sports. Well, I'll tell you uh, this. It's just, as a, just, as a, just as a personal example, real quick, one of the very few things that I have done during this is playing golf because I love to play golf. It's outside. I get my own cart. Nobody's touching the pins. They don't even have the rakes and the bunkers. And so it's an outdoor activity where I feel safe, right? We tried, we called our, uh, one of the buddies that, we, uh, that I play with all the time. We tried to get him to play this past weekend, we called him. He has twins. Now, this would freak me out because I've got two little kids. I hadn't seen him in weeks. Thank God I hadn't been around him because I don't know if he had it or not. Um, he's got twins. They're in pre-K. Like, so the year before kindergarten. So they're mm-hmm. theoretically four years old, right? Both had it. He said he couldn't play golf because the twins had co- tested positive for COVID. I was Did like, they have symptoms? No. Like they were fi- so. okay, no, no. Yeah. One of them had fever. Right, I'm sorry. One of okay. them had fever. This is the first time. This is the first time someone connected with me, because you know you're not hearing about kids. And yeah, I yeah. and look, in fairness, I I talked to him this weekend, and he was like, they're out at the pool. You know, they have a pool in their backyard, and he's like, and they're fine. Like they're like the kids are fine. They're not showing symptoms. They're not ill. Whatever. But obviously, we as a family can't be around anybody for the next two weeks. But it was the first time I had even heard of something like that. So, I mean, this stuff is still, I mean, again, that was what, uh, 
three days ago? Three days ago. Saturday is when I heard about that. And sure. I've had people I've known have it so far, but the idea that like, look, man, we're pretty far down the road yeah. and it and these cases are not <laughs> it's mean, not going down exponentially. I hope we're far down the road. I'm not yeah. so sure that we actually are. No, <laughs> I mean I'm ways, just saying we're not, yeah, yeah. We've been living this life for a long time yes, now is what I mean. for sure. Could be a lot longer, unfortunately. Um, yeah. But yeah, I mean, it, it's interesting. Like, I don't want to go off on a coronavirus aside too much here, but it's interesting you mentioned those two twins. It's the type of thing that's going to be the issue with schools opening back up. I mm-hmm. mean, like, what's the situation in Memphis for your kids? Like, have they talked at all about schools? Publix, Publix shut down yesterday. Well, this coming school year. For the foreseeable future. Yeah, they announced the, actually really? yesterday. Okay. Memphis City Schools. So it'll be done virtually. They are doing virtual. Yes. They're doing virtual. Um, Mine go to a a small private school that my wife is a teacher's assistant there as for us to get the discount, Mm -hmm. right? um, Because, and, (laughs) but they, I don't mind telling everybody that, but they go, they go there. They're going to try. They're going to supposed to do this. But I mean, I got the thing the other day in the mail. I'll tell for all the parents out there. I got our thing. Oh my God, Kevin. Like, so they've hired more teachers. So I think there's like 10 to 13 kids in a oh, class. Smaller classes. Interesting. The way they're doing it. And again, you pay. You know, and this is what publics can't do. So they're trying this. Who knows mm-hmm. if it'll work or not. 10 to 13. Obviously, they wear masks, whatever. Um, but I mean, if you read this stuff, it's just like, I yeah. worry about it being friggin' traumatizing for kids. So I you're know. going to school. It's 10 to 13. You never leave your class. Oh, wow. You eat lunch in the class. You get to go outside twice a day for like 25 minutes for like a recess. But typically, like my son, all his buddies, they go and eat in the cafeteria. There is no cafeteria. You eat lunch in the class. And then like at recess, I was like, do you get to play with everybody? No, you only play with the 10 or 13 in your class. And then they have like friggin' foggers. They're using between the recesses outside to kill germs outdoor. I mean, it's just... It's, I don't know if it's going to work. Hey, I don't. Are kids, but, are I mean, kids required to wear masks? It's in, scary. In, in, in they classes. are, they are, but um, once they get into their classroom, and again, they're doing temperatures every single day and all that stuff. Once they get into the classrooms, um, I don't think the kids have to wear them full time. I tell you this, it's an issue with my mine wears glasses. His freaking glasses fuck up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, yeah. <laughs> you know, he can't breathe in the damn thing without his glasses fogging up. These are things that you don't realize unless you got a kid with glasses. But the poor kid, every time he breathes the thing, it's like, <laughs> it's like he's got smoke-filled glasses. Anyways, um, like the desks are like seven feet apart from each other in the class. So you can't even like pass notes or whisper back and forth with your friends. No cheating. No cheating. Nothing. That's a real I reason know. why. <laughs> what if my kid sucks at school now? What yeah. if I'm going to realize? <laughs> <laughs> All this time. All, I know. All He's always gotten time. good grades. Oh. Yeah. No, but um, they're going to try. and But theirs is like, uh, the, I think the third week in August. Third week in August, they're gonna try. So, I mean, I mean, I don't have a kid, so I can. Uh, it's hard yeah. for me to put myself in the shoes of a parent. I mean, it's when you become a parent, you've learned things that you never expected to. So it's hard for me to, to talk about that. However, I would say, like, I have a hard time imagining myself, like, if I were still a student, feeling comfortable going anywhere now, I whether I was young or not, and, and like, because again, like I said, 
six feet, seven feet of separation indoors, indoors, this thing spreads further than that. Um, from a lot of studies, I feel so bad. That have been done around the world, and like it's the type of thing where people talk about, you know, kids don't get sick, or you know, most people don't die. But the fear is, is that kids bring this home yes. to people who can Absolutely. get infected, who can get serious symptoms, who can, like at like a minimum, lose their sense of taste and smell for no, four scary. months. Or people like one of my friends. One of my friends, he got diagnosed in May, and he had a really hard time breathing. And he does like a he has a physical job, and he still can't return to work, even though he's been negative for like a month and a half now. And he's one of those people that like he might have problems breathing for a long time. It's been uh, two and a half months already, or possibly a lot longer. He hasn't gotten much better. In fact, he had to go to the hospital uh, earlier this month. And I look at a situation like that, someone who's young in their 20s, who's healthy, uh, who worked, you know, a, a physical job. And I'm like, th- I mean, I, th- people talk about the deaths. It's not just about the deaths. It's about the, how it affects your quality right. of life. That's right. And, and for someone like him, I, I, again, it's a reminder to me on a personal level, like, I'm going to play it safe here as much as I can. Yep. And I hope around the country, I mean, more and more places start doing the same. Hey, Chris, let's move on and talk some basketball. But before we do that, let's hear from today's sponsor. Today's episode of the Ringer NBA show is brought to you by FanDuel. Sports are back and you can find all the action on FanDuel. The MLB is already here and the NBA is just around the corner. Whether you've been with FanDuel for a while or you're new to the experience, FanDuel has two great ways to win that you won't want to miss. First off, FanDuel is adding $10 in free bets to every account. No deposits required and no strings are attached. And in addition to your $10 bonus, FanDuel is also giving you a day of risk-free betting. That means you can place any bets you want on baseball, basketball, and hockey to get up to $100 back on your total losses. You can use your risk-free bet on any of the seeding games coming up. Our boss Bill Simmons has a super boost for the Boston Celtics to beat the Milwaukee Bucks on Friday. It's going to take them from a plus 164 to a plus 200. If you already have a FanDuel Sportsbook account, then you're all set. Just use your $10 bonus and day of risk-free betting before they expire on August 2nd. And if you've never tried FanDuel Sportsbook, then what are you waiting for? Download the FanDuel Sportsbook app to get started and be sure to sign up with the promo code RINGERNBA so they know that we sent you. That's promo code RINGERNBA. Must be 21 and up and present in New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Indiana, West Virginia, and Colorado. Offer ends August 2nd, 2020. $100 max refund. Issued in site credit and expires in seven days. $10 bonus issued as non-withdrawable site credit that expires on August 2nd, 2020. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Colorado, 1-800-522-4700. Indiana, 1-800-9-WITH-IT. West Virginia, visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net. Now back to the mismatch. All right, enough with the downer talk. Um, <laughs> we have had basketball going on. It's been very interesting to watch all of this play out because I have I thought it come off, has come off very well on TV. Um, watching some of the different teams, um, I I was left with trying to decide if I think it is an advantage or a disadvantage for the younger teams because this is a lot of games 
in a short amount of time. We talk about the stress of guys, and I get it. It's a different situation. You're not traveling, which is part of the reason three and five nights can be tough. But I mean, you're talking about with games starting on Thursday and Friday and just looking at that schedule and realizing in the next two, two and a half weeks, these teams are going to be playing eight games. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, it is a, it is just wall to wall, and these teams don't have a lot of time between those games. And so while I think that we were always going to have maybe a little bit difficult to time predicting how this plays out or this team has an easy schedule, this team has a hard schedule, I think the variance and outcomes on this is going to be huge. I really do. Because when you've watched so far and you see how much different it is without fans there, and I get it, we're only watching exhibitions now, but there's a level of intensity that just clearly cannot be the same. Um, But beyond that, just the amount of basketball that these teams are going to be playing in a very short amount of time, getting a home run effort regularly, you know, that many times out of these teams, you are going to see some of these teams, especially the ones that play really fast. I mean, there's just no way to not be gassed out, you know, by the fourth game and you still have four more to go. And so I was trying to figure out, because I saw the Sixers. Uh, on Friday. And I thought to myself, you know, they may have a pretty big advantage here because they don't, they don't need to play fast. You know what I mean? A lot of these teams are flying up and down, and I feel the same way about the Lakers too, and, and, and the Clippers for that matter. These teams that don't have to play fast in order to be good, I think have an advantage. I do. You know? Whereas the teams that are at their best when they fly up and down the court, I think they're they're going to be at a real disadvantage the second half of this schedule. I mean, it, it, we don't know what it's going to look like yet, though. No, what we saw in the scrimmages is is um, what I mean is the environment. We don't know yet. The NBA is going to experiment with more stuff during the seeding games. We saw mm-hmm. like a hint of what the virtual fans are going to look like. They do have plans to do more with crowd noise that they're going to experiment with during the seeding games. That's different than what some of the broadcasts have done. We've we've seen crowd noise in occasional games. That's that was from the teams. This is from the league, and so this is a difference here. What we're going to see with the seeding games, and like I said, I'm not going to judge what we saw in the scrimmages because that is not indicative of what the seeding games and possibly the postseason will actually look like in terms of what they do to replicate home court advantage for teams. So uh, I'm going to withhold opinion there. I am dubious to believe in the artificial energy, though. You know, I and one of the things that players have told me over the course of the past week since they've been playing these games that I thought was very fascinating was <laughs> Jaron Jackson actually said this to me yesterday, that they, he said the refs hear everything. Everything you say, so if you're pissed off about a foul or if you feel like you were fouled, like he's like, that's one of the things that you've realized there. While we can't hear it on TV, he said we on the court, it's very odd. We can hear everything. He said it feels like we're playing in pool play in AAU where (laughs) it's just us in the Mm -hmm. gym. And he's like, but the other thing is you can say stuff like under your breath during games and like there's you know 
it's chaos during an NBA game. Yeah. There's music being pumped in. There's the crowd or whatever. He said, these refs, they're going to have to like do some meditation or something. And he's like, because everybody's on them all the time. But most of the time you can't realize yeah. it. He's like, there's no denying. You hear it yeah. all the time while you're playing people bitching at the refs. And he was like, I, he said, I hope they did some training coming into this because they're going to realize that all anybody, like everybody bitches about everything all the oh, yeah. time. And that, but now they're hearing it and they didn't always hear it before. Right. And I thought that mm -hmm. was fascinating. No, and so, <laughs> no, it, I, like, like you said, it's the type of thing where you can't replicate actual fans being there. You can't replicate a yeah. guy being over your shoulder as you're inbounding a pass and he's screaming in your ear, yep. you can't replicate that. But I am intrigued to see what the league is actually going to experiment with during the seeding games in terms of atmosphere, you know, crowd noise, virtual fans, whatever else they might have in store. Um, I mean, maybe it can it can do it 60%, 60% of what it usually feels like, maybe 40%. Yep. Maybe it feels like something totally different that's not comparable. I, I don't know. We won't find out until the actual seeding games are played. I'll give you a little uh, nugget that I heard the other day, and I don't know. Maybe Sources for say? Forgive me if this is out there everywhere. Okay. I don't know. But you know how we talked about like three or 400 fans being able to do it, and they'll be in boxes. They've kind of tried it out a little bit, yeah, experimented yeah, yeah, with yeah, it a little yeah. bit. Um, and we kind of went through that press release the other day. I don't know if we mentioned in there, but there is going to be, and I think behind the bench, there is going to be a special section for family. For the family, yeah. For family, yeah. yeah, yeah. And so... I reported that Friday. Okay. So there is a... Well, I mean, <laughs> no, it's fascinating. I, I didn't report that. It was like... It, it was in, the, I think, the press release. Or like, it was in the yeah, press it, release. It was, in, it was embargoed. It's not like I reported yep. it, sources say. <laughs> yeah, but these guys are going... Like, there is going to be some level of familiarity. They're going to look up and see their mom. Yeah. You know what I mean? Behind the for bench. Sure. Right? Even if it's on a video screen, they are yeah. going to know... That yeah. <laughs> mom and dad are watching, which is yeah. hilarious. I think right? I think it's I think it's really cool. People were oh, kind of joking cool. about it. I think it's great. It's it's the type of thing where look, if you have family that can't be there, but they're watching. And by the way, like just to outline what the virtual fans are for listeners who uh, we talked about it Friday, right? Yeah, yeah, we talked about. Yeah, it we Friday. talked about it. Uh, yeah, yeah, but uh, no, it's the type of thing where having having family there. Uh, it's no different than what we're doing with FaceTime right now. If you can yep. look into the crowd. And, and point at your loved one, your kid or whoever. It's like something straight out of Black Mirror, but it's also kind of nice. It's like for me, when I lived on the West Coast, uh, um, last two years, being away from my parents, having FaceTime helped. Having FaceTime helps recording mm -hmm. a podcast with you. I mean, yep. it, we don't need it. We have chemistry, you know, after the years doing this together, but it, it helps seeing a face. Sure. And I'm sure for players on the court, it would be great to be able to look into the crowd and see someone you love. Yeah, I think that one of the things and that's part of not knowing how this is all going to play yeah. out. But as, as I was saying earlier, um, with the way these games are going to be played, the amount of them in a short amount of time. And then the other thing, you know, and, and we can we can even speak out loud here about this. You and I were discussing about how we're going to be doing the pod during this because there are going to be new games every yeah. single day. And so we discussed doing them at night. Now, I'm going to be part of one of the broadcasts on a regular basis. And when we first discussed it, it never even dawned on me. Like, I'm just so programmed through my life that, like, my the games are at night. And so, okay, well, maybe I could do it after the game, whatever. But, like, for the Grizzlies' purposes, none of the games are at night. 
Like they played three o'clock yeah. on Friday against Portland and like all the games. I think one might be primetime. The rest of them are all during the day. That's the other thing that we don't know. You are taking so many elements out of what is normal and changing them. You're playing so many games, but you are doing it without the travel. And then what do these teams look like playing in the middle of the day? Yeah, right. Exactly. When your whole life, at least as an NBA player, has been programmed to peak at a later hour. We always see some weird stuff go Seven on. Seven or later. Yeah. We always see weird stuff going on on the Christmas early games, right? It's not like, it's not necessarily always the same type of basketball game we would get if the game was played at 8 o'clock at night when it's played and at 11 way, in the morning. We're going to get those early games, not just in the seeding games, but for the entire first round of the playoffs. And oh, the, really? I mean, it, it, it does move back to later games for second round and beyond, but first round will also have early games. And Crazy. so it's there's going to be an adjustment for a lot of guys here. You know, for, oh, yeah. for some players, like after a game, they get back, you know, they have their late night meal or they, you know, play Warzone until 3 a.m. Yeah. in the morning because they don't have practice the next morning. I mean, you might you might not be able to do that. You have to get develop new routines. And, and for some guys, breaking out of their routine can really hurt their game on the court. So that, I mean, like this might just be like a handful of guys that affects. But what if those handful of guys include some star players? There's a lot of variables here that we can't measure. We can only speculate about, but they will undoubtedly affect some guys out there, whatever it might be, whether it's crowd noise, whether it's, you know, depth perception with the screens Mm -hmm. in the background and this weird court that has lower ceilings than a typical arena, whatever it might be, there's going to be a guys who are, who are affected. We just may never find out about it, or we don't know that it is a factor for their games yet. Yep. Couple other quick things about the basketball that we have seen so far. It was nice to see De'Aaron Fox back healthy, being mm-hmm. able to play for the King's sake and for their level of enjoyment. Um, and he looked he looked pretty good in his outing. Our old buddy Jonathan Isaac, who you and I were so high on in summer league a few years ago, he's back. After, you know, again, he had gotten injured early this season. I still got a lot of stock in this kid. Um yeah. And he turned up. Hold that stock. <laughs> well, and I'll tell you this. The other thing is, they are the great overlooked team. Like, no, Brooklyn's not going to do anything. I watched them play yesterday. Oh, my God. That is an abomination. Like, I, they should just go home. Um, <laughs> the bubble nets. Yeah. I mean, the only thing that can happen is somebody getting hurt playing against them. Like, there's no – it's a, it's a waste of time. I don't know if that would save them. Yeah, let's no, say, I'm let's saying, say they're the eight seed and Giannis decides to sit out the whole first round. Brooklyn's not winning that series <laughs> against the Chris Middleton-led Bucks. <laughs> you know what? That would actually lead to a lot more intrigue. <laughs> yeah, Giannis, Giannis should, just go, just sit out. should just rest. I mean, it still might be a sweep. I, it might be a sweep. Bucks without Giannis versus Brooklyn? Hmm. i tell you this, though. I could see the Orlando team. You know, remember they had the one weird DJ Augustine first game and then they got ran out last year i could see them winning a couple of games you know under steve clifford that yeah yeah and they're a really good defense you know what they're a weird matchup they really are they like look there's a part of the reason that they're an eight seed and not higher than that is because the the shit they got it, it doesn't fit well right but it is also awkward to match up against you know like they've got these guys that you know, can flamethrow every once in a while. Like, they'll have a game where 48 drops 30 or Terrence Ross drops 30, and they were playing well 
towards the right before the quarantine. In fact, I saw them uh, in person right before the season was delayed, and Fultz was even good in the game that I saw them. I mean, they've got <laughs> they've got some interesting stuff on that team, and God, there are lineups they put out there, and they are just friggin' huge. That it's now in a world where everybody loves to be small and play small ball that you see some of these teams, and as I mentioned the Sixers earlier, that are so big that teams, that they can really pack it in, you better be able to knock down shots that night against those teams because they are difficult to score on and to make your way in the paint and also difficult to get constantly in transition against. I could actually see them being, you know, I mean, not dangerous like beating somebody, but dangerous in winning a couple of games in the playoffs. And maybe all of a sudden we're looking at, oh my God, there's a game six tonight. You know? Yeah. That's what I'm saying. And, and who knows? I mean, Isaac in his uh, scrimmage game yesterday looked really good offensively. Yeah. He, he started, you know, doing some of the things that he's flashed before off the dribble as a scorer. And I, I, that's something that we've talked about a bit. Uh, about guys who could have surprising skill developments. And, like, I mean, I think about OG Ananobi. His handle looks better than it ever has. After all this time off, clearly he's been working on his ball handling. That's something that can unleash more of his offense. Um, This is something that can affect players getting better. Kyle Anderson, your guy with Memphis, shooting threes off the dribble. We mentioned Robertson earlier, hitting threes off the catch. Like, there's guys who can add new skills that can, again, another variable that can affect this playoff race. Hey. This, we can wrap back around since uh, another guy that you really like for his defense, right? I will tell you that twice when I watched him on Friday, I audibly yelled, like, what? And it was Thibault. Offensively, mm. not defensively, offensively. He did. Oh, he, had that, he, he had that big dunk. Oh, my game, God. Think, yeah, Out yeah. of nowhere, tomahawk, two-hand. I mean, and then. Uh, He's great, man. Hey, oh, and and the other guy, the kid that he doesn't ever play for them, but Embiid only played 13 minutes in the game, and so he did. This is the new Rashawn Holmes, Norvell Pell. Yeah, he's not he's not Rashawn Holmes in my heart though. Boy, this guy, he comes <laughs> off and gives you something. He, it, it's so Rashawn Holmesy, it really is. I was like, what? <laughs> no, they just he's, he's a solid player. Yeah, I went and read his story. Insane. He went to uh, Dominguez in Compton, three different high schools. He was ranked like the number one center. He was on a team, too, that he ended up not getting to play on because of grades with uh, Alan Crabb that, like, won the Uh. state championship. Now he goes up to play at, like, St. John's, doesn't qualify, so he's out, then goes to Iona, doesn't qualify, and then he, like, went and played in, like, the – Taiwanese Basketball League or something. Like, it is the craziest story. He was once a very highly ranked high school prospect because I'm watching the game and I'm like, who the hell is this? Who is Pell? And I go and look up his story. He's like 26 or 27, and it's just the <laughs> craziest route to the NBA. It really is. Like, to never play in college and to never, like, it's just this weird road that you just, and I've never even heard of the Taiwanese Basketball League. Have you? I don't even know what that is. It's just the craziest thing. No, I mean, it's the it's type of thing where, like, these guys on the back end of a bench, if they have you, to come in for a game or two or three or, you know, maybe one stint. Yep. You never know. Yeah, you never know who can make a difference in a game. You never know. 
You never know. Um, obviously, we touched on Portland. Nurkic looking Nurkic, yeah, we uh, very, very yep. good. Yeah, and to the point about Orlando, like, look, they uh, again, it's an exhibition. They were putting it on Denver. You know, they really were. They, they looked very good against Denver. And maybe I'm just being a little persuaded by what I saw, but I was, I was rather impressed. Um, we mentioned the Fox thing. I saw Houston the other night. I don't know if they're going to consistently be getting monster games out of Ben McLemore and Jeff Green. Uh, I know that Westbrook looked pretty good in his first game. He was miserable in the game Sunday night. I mean, he's just taking wild crap, and it was. Just I, I want to give Houston more time. I want to yeah, yeah, see yeah. more of their games, competitive games, in the seeding games, because like their experiment is so unique with this small front court with yeah. Tucker and Covington. I, I want to see more of what they do in actual competitive games. Well, we also talked about this though. I do think it's an advantage for them, though they do play fast. I think in some ways in his advantage because. Well, why do you think playing fast could be a disadvantage in this environment, though? Oh. In terms of shooting and shooting in your legs. Oh, okay, yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. yeah okay. when you're playing, you, when you're playing that kind of, when you got to shoot 53s every other day, you know, it's kind of sometimes in the fourth quarter it can taper off. Well, imagine if you're playing that many games, they're they're not conditioned to do that, be playing, you know, that amount of games that quickly. Uh, but I also think matching up with them in a one-off situation, as we saw when they made the change during the season, I think people are going to be able to expose it planning against them when it's the only thing they have to plan against and can punish them for being small. But in one-offs, I do think you you have a great advantage playing that way because teams, they don't have time to game plan to play against you in the one-off. And what's fascinating is, you know, they only have the really one big guy in Tyson Chandler off the bench. If somebody, there's a lot of big guys. There's Gobert, there's Jokic, there's Anthony Davis. If somebody does force you to be bigger than P.J. Tucker, right? Uh, watching that broadcast the other night, they said Tyson Chandler hasn't attempted a field goal since December 28th. <laughs> I was like, God! I mean, <laughs> if he's called into service during the playoffs, it's going to be a long time between field goals, even if it's just a lob. It's not like he's taking a jumper. Like I said, with Houston, I want to see more of how they match up against some teams in size and games that matter. And... Like they're one of the most interesting teams in the league right now. We talked about Philly last week, yep. you know, with the video I did with Houston. Um, they're that other team that I look at, and I'm like, I can't wait to watch this team play. I mean, they got Dallas coming up, they got mm-hmm. Milwaukee coming up. You know, how does Milwaukee's large front court with Brooke Lopez and Yasin Antetokounmpo face off against Houston's smaller front court? I mean, it's just little things like that I, I want to see before I'm making judgments about the scene. But I'm excited. See, and I, they definitely have a shot to, to upset some favorites in the West if things click the way they could. Last thing, and we will react to these. Um, well, by, by the way, just on the Houston thing, I watched them hit. They hit 22 threes on Sunday night. 22. I mean, we talked about the variance in this, right? Mm-hmm. They hit 22, they're running you out. If they hit 18, it's a game. <laughs> you, know? Like, yeah. you know, I mean, and, and some nights they're going to hit 22 and some nights they're going to hit 18 because they attempt 50. Um, our opening night, Jazz Pelicans. Do we have clarity? Are we seeing Zion in this game? It said Pelicans expect Zion to practice Wednesday. We do know that. They expect okay. Him to I mean, so hopefully he does. Yeah, I mean, are they? And we'll see. That's the opening game. Look, all of their games are monster games. The Pelicans. Oh yeah. Oh, every single one. Yes. Yeah, must watch. 
And they are playing against the Jazz, who Mike Conley chopped off all his hair um, and has actually looked better, I thought. Um, It's a weird situation because they've taken such a key part of their team out of the mix in Bogdanovich, but maybe having a role player in that position might somewhat be uh, the medicine they need. You know, we had talked about bringing even maybe Conley off the bench to try to just figure this out. They had experimented putting Ingles in there. We talked about Royce O'Neal. Well, now they are forced to play somebody other than Bogdanovich because he's not playing. Yeah. And so it might actually be um, to the benefit of that backcourt by having a guy that doesn't take a lot of shots and just keeps the ball moving as one of the other guys outside of a Bogdanovich, who's a big shot taker. I mean, I mean, what is what is Bogdanovich good at? He is good at running secondary pick and roll for you. He's good at running off screen, spotting up, cutting, moving off ball. Those are all things Mike Conley is also good at. Yeah, I mean, he's been one of the league's best pick and roll playmakers for many years in Memphis. But beyond that, he's also a guy who's very, very effective off the ball. And that's mm-hmm. one of the reasons why last summer I was so excited about that acquisition for Utah. Yep. It just didn't work out. And part of the reason was because of lack of chemistry in the pick and roll. Lack of he, he didn't have that familiarity with Rudy Gobert that he did for years with Marcus Sol. Different styles. Gobert, a roll, lob threat. Gasol pick and pop or a guy you hit on the short roll and he picks apart defenses or drives himself. Big differences there that he's had to adjust to. But the role has also been a big adjustment for him too, not getting as much of that off-ball action that he really excelled at with the Grizzlies. And so we are seeing him do a bit more of that, and I'm sure we'll see more of that in the seeding games now that Bogdanovich is out. And maybe that could be a good thing for him individually. And I mean, it, it hurts Utah overall. Bogdanovich is a really, really good player. A real, really solid wing defender too, um, but may, maybe this team isn't going to feel that loss quite as much if they can get it out of Conley, and if they can have some more other other guys like Joe Ingles do a bit yeah. more. Maybe what Bogdanovich did as well, or maybe you plug Ingles like straight up into that Conley role mm-hmm. and have him run the show and Conley play off ball more. There's different ways you can configure this rotation if you're Quinn Snyder, but I, I'm excited to see Conley develop more in that offense. And then on the other side, and again, we're going to get to react to this on our Friday pod, but the other side is you assume you've got a healthy Brandon Ingram and hopefully Zion in the mix. And that's another one that it hasn't really overlapped. You've had Ingram had this breakout, unbelievable, some people think most improved in the NBA, uh, all-star caliber season. And then you've had Zion who came in and was fantastic, but it didn't all line up. And when it did line up, them being simultaneously awesome has been a challenge. And so the question becomes, can they figure out how to both be devastating at the same time? Because it was clear that Ingram was not the same devastating presence that he was once Zion was in the mix. And it stands to reason Zion's, I mean, he's going to be, the guy, you know, going forward. But Ingram, he's pretty damn good as the guy. So how did that? How does that work together in tandem? And is that a great fit? Because you know, in the offseason, you know, Brandon Ingram, you're going to pay a fortune to, you know, to keep him around. Uh, and is that a fit? Can they both be simultaneously great? And... We really don't know. We've kind of seen them without each other be great. Sure. And I think the Ingram-Zion on-court 
friction. Uh, I don't know if friction is the right word here, but they, they didn't have the chemistry that you would have hoped for when Zion came back in January. Mm-hmm. Um, you would hope that's better now. Uh, and for this team, though, I think it can work. I have no doubts that it can work. Um, it's just about time. It's just a matter of if it's going to work now or not. Long term, I do think it can work. I, um, Ingram's scoring ability is adaptable. He can pass as well. Zion, uh, to me, more than anything else, I think it's due to the way Gentry used Zion during those games from January and beyond. Zion became a post player. Zion was not the guy that we saw in preseason last year uh, when he was running all, all these actions, these handoffs, these off-screen actions for him from the perimeter. We didn't see some of that movement from Zion. And I think if you add that variety into the way you're utilizing him, it would then therefore help Brandon Ingram and getting opportunities off the catch, secondary actions. And you could use those guys and pick and rolls together. Again, something we didn't see a lot of during the season. Will we see it now? I don't know. We haven't seen Zion play in the scrimmages. Well, hopefully Thursday night we see some more creativity and some more uh, diversity in terms of the offensive sets that the Pelicans use to get those guys going together, which they can do. It's a great first game. And then the second game, I'm going to turn to you, Isaac. Obviously, uh, Lou Will is out. How are you feeling about your Clippers? It is opening night, Clippers-Lakers. Davis and LeBron sat out in the game yesterday, so I didn't get to see them play. J.R. Smith and Dion Waiters <laughs> show yesterday. Yeah, so not necessarily, Yeah, not necessarily indicative of the Lakers. How, uh, I know you've got to be disappointed about the Lou Will thing, but how are you feeling going into this? Yeah, I'm disappointed in Lou Will because of the kind of irresponsible thing that he did. I'm not disappointed in him as a basketball player, though, because the Clippers are deep. They have a decent guard rotation that can step in. Yeah, Lou Will leads that second unit. You need Lou Will to be scoring off the bench, but you got a guy like Amir Coffey coming off the bench who I would assume no one (laughs) listening to this knows that name, but... You know, he's Who, a decent scoring Coffey? threat. Tell, tell the listeners, Isaac. Amir Coffey is this kind of lengthy shooting guard, combo guard, who can really score um, off the catch, you know, off the dribble, and is a decent bench player who can step up, right? It's it's all about stepping up. It's all about guys who can next man up. Um, you just talked about Bogdanovich being out and Mike Conley stepping up. Obviously, that's a star stepping in for another star-level player. But I think the Clippers are deep enough to where they can survive this absence of Lou Will especially with Pat Bev back, especially with Landry Shamit back, yeah. or back as in like in the rotation for the yeah. first time in the bubble. And I'm not worried about the Clippers at all during this stretch, even without Lou Will. All right. Not worried at all. Um, it makes for unbelievable television on Thursday yeah. night, right? Yeah. Those two teams being matched up. I've told you this, Kevin. I would be shocked if it's not the Western Conference Finals. I would. Houston has a chance. I mean, some of these other teams have a chance. Oh, but come these on. Teams are, uh, these, team, these teams are so far beyond, though, in terms of what they can also be, Lakers and Clippers, I mean, I would be surprised as well. Uh, and I know that you have a video coming out this week. And with that video, you are going to focus on your favorite Isaac Lee's team. favorite player. Isaac yes. Lee's favorite player. Jesus. Alex Caruso. Yeah, Alex Caruso, uh, who, yeah. Isaac has become very close with during quarantine. (laughs) (laughs) To be fair, I do like Alex Caruso. I think he's a great defensive player. Like, I do like his game. (laughs) Who doesn't like Alex Caruso? The broader topic is about, you know, reserves and bench players, rotation guys, and their importance to championship contention with the focus. You know, it's a deeper analysis of, of Alex Caruso. And this guy who is 
a meme, you know? Lakers yeah. fans love him. Other fans look at him and they're like, they're just another overrated Lakers player. So it's really just a deeper analysis of, of, of who this guy is as a player on defense and on offense. And with Rajon Rondo out until at least the first or second round after thumb surgery and with Avery Bradley away from the team to be with his family uh, during these next three months, it's about can he step up in this role that he's going to need to for the Lakers to have that secondary ball handling presence, that perimeter defender. And we get into that. It's a fun video. So um, please be sure to go check that out on the Ringers YouTube channel, The Restart. It'll be out on Wednesday. It's a fun video. We talked about this uh, a couple of weeks ago. Then I brought up those numbers. I mean, the, look, the numbers with him and LeBron on the court at the same time are just they're foolishness. They're so good. I mean, they were just, they're out of this world. Yeah. This was when Rondo got hurt, and we said, hey, maybe this isn't a bad thing when you look at if those numbers are even close. Well, that number, that number just to give it, that number is of all two-man combinations in the league, uh, <laughs> LeBron, LeBron and Alex Caruso, were in the, when they're on the court together, they outscore teams by 20.8 points for 100 possessions, which is more than anybody else. Anybody else. And that's Crazy. like a sample size of 450 minutes, which is not large, but it's also not insignificant. No. So you put two high IQ players together that really have been great on defense this season uh, that can both pass the ball really well, make quick decisions. Good things tend to happen. And with those guys on the court together, for the Lakers right now, I mean, you could use Rondo's playmaking, Avery Bradley's perimeter defense, but Caruso to me is the better overall guy of those three. So it could be a blessing in disguise for the Lakers and for Frank Vogel to now get him into the rotation early and more often getting more minutes when you look at what they're going to need down the line to beat you know, the Clippers or to beat whoever it might be in that second-round matchup. We are going to get to watch basketball that counts on Thursday night for the first time Woo. in well over yeah. 100 days. Let's and go. Then, and then, Kev, it is going to be wall-to-wall for two oh, straight yeah. weeks. Every day, we're going to have games going on for two straight weeks leading into the playoffs. So, I mean, once we get to, by the time we speak next, we'll be reacting to the games that we have seen on Thursday night. So, we're um, recording Thursday night. Correct. After Thursday the game. night. So, after so af- Clippers-Lakers. After Clippers-Lakers, yes. we're going to record the show. Us Correct. three, we're going to record, and then it's going to be in your feed in the morning. That's so, right. early morning, not an afternoon drive or an afternoon listen. You'll have it on your feed in the morning before before we see the next games the next day. And if the Clippers get run out, I mean, Isaac will be <sighs> pissed drunk for this yes. recording. Oh, my God. <laughs> I'll have a bottle of whiskey in my hand. Just, <laughs> I don't even know if this is a recording. Whatever. <laughs> my man. Thank you to Isaac Lee as always. Kevin, I can't wait. I will talk to you on Friday. I'm excited. I'm looking forward to it, guys. Thanks, everybody, and we will talk to you on Friday.